The following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're visiting with us this morning, a special welcome to you. It's good to have you with us. Um, my name is Jed Brown. I'm the associate pastor here, our senior pastor. Steve Clark, Lord willing, will be back next week. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 1, and, and then I'll pray. Read verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. We are not writing to you anything other than what you read and acknowledge, and I hope you will fully acknowledge, just as you did partially acknowledge us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. We pray. Father, the words of that song that we just sang are sweet, deeply, deeply sweet to me, precious words, precious words born out of deep adversity for me and for the man who wrote that, the man who lost daughters at sea, the man who was run out of his church accused of sin man who suffered, was afflicted greatly. So it is 
a sweet truth that we sing, but perhaps to some of us incomprehensible. How is it that someone could sing such words when their daughters lie at the bottom of the sea? How is it that someone could sing such words when they've been treated wrongly by other people, people that are actually commanded to love them? How in the world could that be? It is not of this world that we can sing such things. It is by your supernatural work in the world. So I pray today, I pray that you would you, you would renew in me. Start with me, but, but please renew in all of us a vision of your supernatural work. Renew in us a vision of the comfort and the deliverance that you have brought to us, Lord Jesus. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in us Please move through this, the speaking and the preaching of your word. Please give me words to say. Please delete words that I should not say. Please work. Please show us Christ. Please make the, the comfort, the security, and the satisfaction that we have in him, make it Make it sit deeply with us. Make, make it real in us. Make it live. Make it sing in us, even when we are in the cave. Please, we ask for nothing less than a supernatural work in our hearts this morning. You are the only one who can do it, Holy Spirit, so we look to you now. Please work. Please show us Christ. Please bless our souls, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Last week we looked into the cave of Psalm 142, as Bob mentioned earlier, where David cried out to God as he suffered alone. The cave of affliction is the workshop of God, we said, where we learn the trade of psalm making, of crying out to God, crying out for comfort and deliverance. Psalm making is the trade of every true Christian because by it we gain the comfort and the deliverance that we all need. We learn this trade at the feet of Jesus. We learn it by watching him, by, by apprenticing under him, by watching him cry out to God and find his own refuge in the Father as he lay there in the, in the tomb, helpless, completely dependent upon the Father to deliver him. Though we suffer like him, we too will be delivered like him. So in the passage before us this morning, we, we see another lesson from God's workshop. That God means to deliver other people, to bring comfort and deliverance to other people through the comfort and deliverance that he brings to us. The comfort and deliverance that he brings to you and to me is not all just about you and me. God is doing more than just comforting us in the cave. He's producing something within us that we will have to give to other people. 
That's God's plan for the world, to push, to push true abiding comfort, true peace, true deliverance into the world through those that he himself is comforting and delivering. So this is the main point this morning, that that God comforts us in all our affliction in order to comfort and save others through the comfort he gives to us. So that again, God comforts us in Christ in all our affliction in order to comfort and save others through the comfort he gives to us. So let's, let's first trace this thought through Paul's opening of 2 Corinthians. This, this entire passage is really saying one thing. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. And Paul's saying, let me tell you why. Because he is the God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means he is the source of all real comfort in the universe. The comfort, excuse me, the, the universe is a cold, cruel place. If you've ever read a philosopher like Bertrand Russell, you, you understand this, that there is nothing more than coldness and cruelty in the world, and then we die. That's the story. That's the game plan. But Paul is saying, no, God is to be blessed, praised, because he is the one source in all the coldness of the universe where a suffering human can find real mercy real comfort, real hope, the only place. It really exists in Jesus Christ. So because of this, this God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of our praise. He should be blessed. But as I said, God pushes this mercy, this comfort into creation in the most remarkable way. Well, I guess the more we think about Christ, it shouldn't be remarkable to us. But at first glance, it seems remarkable. In verse 4, he ordains suffering. This is implied by the passage. But then he comforts those who are suffering. And then he flows that same comfort to other people who are suffering in the world. So whatever struggles we might have of accepting a God who ordains suffering, we can at least understand this, that God in Christ is in the suffering with us. Verse 5. He suffered the worst suffering of any human and experienced the worst trial, death itself. But trusting in the Father's deliverance, he endured every trial. And then the Father delivered him. Paul's point is that now, it, it is not that Jesus came down and shared in our sufferings, but now those of us who trust in him, we share in his sufferings. We who trust in him. We share in his sufferings and we are, we are united to him by faith and so everything that is his is ours. So his sufferings are ours, but so is his comfort. All of the comfort that Christ received from the Father is ours. All ours. So we will certainly share in his comfort, the comfort of a son or a daughter who endures because he's, he's being comforted in the fact that this Father will deliver. He will deliver. So just, we need to take this one step further. This is how God is working in the world. He ordains suffering and then he comforts in one. And through that one, comfort comes to others. 
And so as it comes to us, God ordains, God purposes that it would come to yet still others through us. He purposes through our suffering and our comfort to comfort and deliver others. So Paul explains this to the Corinthians in verses 6 through 7. The Corinthians that this, this gifted, debaucherous bunch that was the church in Corinth. Worldly, self-centered, self-ambitious people. They question Paul's sincerity and his motives in another letter. So he's writing now this letter. And here he reminds them just how it is that they came to experience salvation, true comfort in this cold world. It came through the comfort and deliverance that Paul received in his affliction. He says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. So Paul is confident in verse 7, again, because we share in all that is, that is Christ's both his suffering and his comfort, that because they are going through suffering, they too will experience the comfort that Christ received. And you know, as I think about this, I don't ever remember reading this kind of evangelism strategy in any kind of book anywhere, you know? Get good and afflicted. Get good and afflicted and find your comfort in Christ and then give that comfort to somebody else. I don't remember reading that in any books. And yet, that was Paul's evangelism strategy. That was his game plan, if you will, with the people of Corinth. Find his comfort in this world in Christ and then give that to somebody else. So Paul goes on to tell them what his own comfort looked like. He was brought to the end of himself with absolutely no strength left, verse 8. He actually thought that God had ordained that this would be it for him, verse 9. But, but note the purpose, Paul says. It was not to make us, it, it was to make us not rely on ourselves, but God. And, and note the particular aspect about God, that God will raise us from the dead. He raises the dead. That was the, that was the particular aspect of God that, that, Paul, that gave Paul grace and hope in that moment. Even in the greatest trial, God will deliver me. So I know then, verse 10, that, that God will keep delivering me in every situation until He delivers me in resurrection. He will deliver me and He will keep delivering me. I know that because I share in everything that is Christ. I will share in His resurrection. God will deliver me and He will keep delivering me. So then he asks for prayer. He says, pray for me so that God would keep delivering us so that God would get more glory. So that as he gives me much good, lavish good, he would get all the glory so that many people would give thanks as you all see how God delivers me. Pray for this, please. Please pray for my deliverance. But like David last week, let's pray for the moon here. Let's pray that God would be greatly glorified in all his delivering of me as he keeps delivering me until he delivers me. Then he reminds them, verses 12 through 14, of what it actually looked like as he approached them. You, you say that I've been insincere with you. you. You say that I'm a charlatan just out for your money or something else. R remember how I approached you, Corinthians. We'll, we'll return to this in a bit. 
But we stop this morning with verse 14 when, when Paul points them out to his real motivation, the real reason why he approached them. Because he was looking forward to that final day of resurrection when he would meet Jesus in the air and he would not just see Jesus in the air. He wanted to see them in the air with him. On that day when he would be raised from the dead, he would boast, or another way to translate that would be exult. He would exult as he sees them and they would exult in him as they see all that they had through his suffering and the comfort that he received that he gave to them. And as he, as he looked across and saw all of them, he, he, he can picture it, he can say, oh, what a moment that will be when all of it will have been worth it. All of it will have been worth it. All the suffering and all of the comfort, worth it. That's the text. God comforts us in Christ in all our affliction that he would comfort and save others through the comfort that he gives to us. This is how God is working in the world today. And it has ever been his plan in the gospel to bring his mercy and his grace this way. Through suffering and comfort. This is his game plan. So before we go any further, we need to ask ourselves and continue to ask ourselves as we talk today, we'll talk about some deeply theological things and some more practical things. But as we go through, we need to be asking ourselves, is this my game plan? I, who have been saved by God, is it all about me? Or, or am I following God's game plan? <clears throat> if it would be your game plan, you will find new meaning for the suffering and the affliction in your life, I think. And you will find new richness in your relationships. And I think for many of us, as, as I think about our church, as I think about myself, I think you, you and I will find a new growth in our walk with Christ if we would follow the, the game plan that, that, that God has laid out in 2 Corinthians 1. I, I think that on the other side of following this, you and I will experience a, a, a new richness, a new growth a new life in our walk with Christ. And perhaps you will find a new way of thinking about evangelism, as this text has done for me. So I invite you to, I invite you to think with me this morning about this game plan, and I, I invite you by faith to, to let the arrows of the game plan direct your steps. So as we, as we walk through the text and think about it this morning, I want to consider three observations, three observations from the text. This is the first one. There is comfort to endure all of life's afflictions in the resurrection of Christ. There is comfort to endure all of life's afflictions in the resurrection of Christ. You may remember as I was reading, I was trying to emphasize for you the, those, those words of totality in the text. All affliction anyone in any affliction. There is no affliction for which God does not have true comfort for any human being. Let's say that again. There is no affliction for which God does not have true comfort for any affliction. God comforts us in all our afflictions. That is true. So Paul defines this comfort in two ways. He First, deliverance from affliction, he mentions this. 
that God comforted him by literally delivering him from whatever the affliction was, but we can guess from other places, shipwreck, imprisonment, beatings, being exposed to the elements, you name it, Paul experienced it. So God literally pulled him out of those situations. But he also speaks of grace to endure through the affliction. God did not do that yet when Paul speaks about despairing of life itself and fearing that he had been condemned to death by God. So whenever God delivered Paul from affliction first, it pointed him to that final day when God would finally deliver him from death itself. Paul viewed his life as one series of deliverances, a deliverance and a deliverance and a deliverance until God would deliver him on that final day. It was just more evidence that there was a resurrection coming when God did pull him out of his circumstances. And this is precisely, precisely the grace that Paul needed to keep going even when his strength had failed him. Though his circumstance had not changed and his strength had completely failed him and he feared of death itself, he experienced real comfort. He was comforted by the fact that none of this, none of this would thwart God's purposes for him to bless him, to satisfy him completely in Christ, to raise him from the dead. That even if the worst happened, God would still raise him from the dead and fill his soul completely with the... And, and satisfy every desire. What he desperately desired in his affliction and, and what he could not have, God would give him. God would fill him with this one day in the resurrection. And all of the past deliverances that God had given him assured him of this. That God was working and God would do it. There's a resurrection coming and it's mine. That was his hope even in the worst, even in the face of death. In the darkest night of my own soul, my life, I too can say I experienced some of this. And I, I was just talking to someone this week who um, is going through a, a, a significant trial, affliction. And, and they mentioned that they've been reading Psalm 37 and oh, it all came back. Psalm 37, my old friend. <laughs> I think I actually said that. Oh, yes, my old friend, Psalm 37. The first 11 verses were my very food back then during that time. When I, you know, there's just sometimes when we go through affliction and it is all we can do moment by moment to simply put one foot in front of the other. And that's it, that's all we got. And during this period, Psalm 37 was for me the very food that allowed me to go one step at a time. And as I read it, as I read it, it, it was life and it was grace to me. Let me, let me just read it, uh, read a few verses from it. This is but one psalm. There's, there's many others, but this, this was food for me. Fret yourself, fret not yourself because of evildoers. 
Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And note the the forward-looking angle of this. And, And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desire, devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to, only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall, will inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. When does this happen? When does this actually happen for us? It happens in the resurrection. God will give us tastes of this now, but it will happen when he raises us from the dead. I remember during that time, I think I actually said this out loud, sarcastically, bitterly. Uh, something to the effect of, uh, it just makes, me, just makes me want heaven. You know, I'm sick of this place. It just makes me want heaven. And then I heard myself speak, and then I realized, oh yeah, that's actually what God is doing here. God is moving in me to, to, to cause me to not rely upon myself, but to place my hope and fix it on him, on, on Christ's resurrection, that his comfort will be my comfort, that I will have the, the full, complete desire of my soul then. And it was the very grace that I needed to patiently wait, to patiently wait for that deliverance. And it was grace to me that I knew that he would keep delivering me moment by moment by moment until that day. So I knew that one minute from now, two minutes from now, six hours from now, six days from now, he would keep delivering me with grace moment by moment by moment to bring me to that day. Sometimes the only way that God can bring us to truly see this, to to truly see how good he is and and, and how good his deliverance is and how sweet his grace is, is by bringing us to the end of ourselves. The only way sometimes we can can truly see the vast oceans of his grace, the, the vast oceans of his deliverance and his comfort to us is by bringing us to the to the beach, to the end of solid ground. And I have to tell you how sweet it was this week in talking to this person and having something that I could comfort this person with, something real, something true, something with power. And it was just a little moment, but but it was a little bit of, of that moment that we just heard Paul talk about where 
everything was all worth it. It was, it was a little taste of that. Where it, it, made, it didn't negate the suffering or the affliction, but, but it made it a little worth it. There's a sweetness as I was able to speak to this other person and just relish in God's comfort. A sweet moment. And this leads us actually to the next two observations. So the first one is this. I should say this, the second observation is this. God's comfort, God's comfort equips us to comfort those in any affliction. God's comfort, and we should say God's resurrection comfort, equips us to comfort anyone in any affliction. I emphasize the any's there. Again, verse 4, God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. When you are in the cave of affliction, God is, God is maybe doing 10,000 things. I don't know all the things that God is doing. Many, many, many. But one thing you can be sure of God is working to comfort you so that you would have true, real, powerful comfort to give to some, someone else. Perhaps leading to the salvation of someone else. The comfort and salvation of another suffering human being floating in this cold, cruel universe. Your afflictions are not random, friend. They are not random. God does not do random. They are of cosmic, eternal importance. You can know that. They are not meaningless, ever, for those who have trusted in Christ. But they only become this way if we take comfort in Him in our trials. No comfort, no equipping. Comfort, equipped. No comfort, no equipping. So there are some profound implications to this. We are not necessarily equipped then if we have suffered under the same kind of trial as the other person or struggled with the same sin. But then turn it over. It also means then that even if we have never experienced that kind of trial or have even thought of even engaging in that, in, in that kind of sin, we are still equipped to provide comfort, grace, and mercy, the grace of God. This does not mean that we are equipped to provide everything that a person needs. That's the Holy Spirit's job, thankfully. We're not the Holy Spirit. That's the comforter's job. We must not forget this. But this means you are equipped to be used powerfully by the Holy Spirit with the comfort that God has given you. Now, I, I don't mean to say that shared, experience, but shared experiences between us mean nothing. They mean a great deal. The Spirit connects us via shared experiences so that we can give each other the gift of empathy. But if, for instance, a, a 20-something has experienced some, some comfort from the resurrection of Christ then God has equipped him or her to comfort the, the white-crowned widow 
And even though when the white-crowned widow was young, Noah had yet invented certain ways of sinning that exist today, that white-crowned widow, if, if she has experienced comfort from the resurrection of Christ, has indeed something to give to that 20-something. Perhaps for the, for the repentance of those sins, the, the mercy and the kindness of God. God's purpose is to comfort and save are not limited by, by boundaries like age or race or income or stage in life. No way. Not a bit. And we're also not necessarily equipped to comfort someone else just because we've had certain schooling or certain kind of training. When it comes to people truly helping people in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as a professional class of helpers. Yeah, some of us may be more gifted in the task of, of counseling than others, but even then, the, those giftings mean nothing unless they're wedded to a person who's truly been comforted in, the, in their soul by the resurrection of Christ. So then, you got to get this. There, there are no troubles that you will encounter in someone else that are strictly for the professionals. I don't mean that someone shouldn't seek the help of a psychiatric or a medical or other kind of professional sometimes. Of course not, because God put those people in the world to push good through them too. When they do what, do what they do, God is wearing them as his mask to do good to the world. But when we hear these, these medical acronyms or labels like PTSD or bipolar or clinically depressed, those labels sometimes say to us, off limits. We, we professionals will take it from here. We got it. And we, we comply. And we, we leave that person among us who's depressed, we, we leave them to, their, to themselves, to the professionals. We leave them in their cave alone. But where is Christ? Where is Christ but in the cave with them? So, he means to reveal His comfort through His Spirit, working through us in that person's life. Forget the labels. The, la let me the labels can be helpful, actually. They can be very helpful sometimes. But they are not the power of God to save. You, you, are you tracking? you get what I'm saying? You possess the power of God to comfort and save another person within you if you have been comforted by the resurrection of Christ. You have it, Christian. You have it. So, and, and do, do we not also do this sometimes with certain sins? We, we leave them to the professionals, to the pastors or to the specialists in special ministries. Maybe it's because we've been told it's a disease or, or we're disgusted by that sin or we're confused by it. Never even heard of that before, maybe. But the truth is, we all suffer under the same heat, every last person on the face of this earth. We all sin under that heat. It's just that my sin under the heat lamp of the world looks a little bit different or a lot different from yours. But it's the same heat, and it's the same heart of sin. It's the same rebellion against God. It's the same, it's the same desire that's gone wrong to find satisfaction somewhere in this cold universe, to find rest, to find, to find real pure pleasure somewhere that's gone wrong in all of us. It just goes wrong in different ways. 
So if you've been comforted in your sin by the cross and the mercy of Christ, by being, by being justified in the resurrection of Christ, then you have what that other sinner needs. You have it. So if we find our comfort in the sufferings of life in, in Christ, then we are equipped to comfort anyone in any affliction. The power of the grace that we've been shown is great because it is the gospel. It's the gospel, the power of God to save. It is the power of God, and it is the power of God in us because God has moved towards us out of love and compassion, out of pity. God has moved towards us to comfort and save us. So we're beholden to do the same thing. That leads us to the third point. The third observation from, that I'm drawing today from 2 Corinthians 1 is this. I'll, I'll read it a couple of times. Simply and sincerely move toward the other sufferers and sinners around you. Offering the resurrection comfort you've received. Simply and sincerely move toward the other sinners, excuse me, the other sufferers and sinners around you, offering the resurrection comfort you've received. I say, I say resurrection comfort here uh, because some of us will hear this and they'll immediately move towards others giving advice. And, uh, you know, it's just, just do this different, you know? Just take this supplement. It'll be all right. Just, 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 you know. It usually starts with just. Just do this. Just do this. And that's not what we're talking about here. We say resurrection comfort. First, that's not what we're talking about because, frankly, nobody likes uninvited advice. You know? Nobody likes that, ever. So let's just let's get that out there. Nobody likes advice. It's unpleasant, it's boring, and it doesn't address anybody's deepest need. That's because advice is really the, the, the worldly wisdom of verse 12 that Paul talks about in verse 12. He says, I didn't approach you, Corinthians, with worldly wisdom, with seductive speech or with self-help advice. On the contrary, he moved toward the worldly, debaucherous, selfish Corinthians with, with simplicity and with godly sincerity, he says. Not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. Not with clever scripts, not with earthly wisdom, but with the kind of wisdom that leads to simplicity and sincerity. The wisdom of Christ in Him crucified and an empty tomb. The wisdom of an empty tomb. We're called to, to move towards a suffering, sinful world Leaning in with a, an empty tomb as our offering, as our wisdom. This simplicity and this sincerity comes from remembering how God has comforted us. How God has approached us. We remember how human we are and we remember how powerful He is to save. The more we, the more we look to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, 
the more we realize we are not able. We are just human beings who have been comforted and saved. We realize He is the power. He is the power. The more we realize that this, this gospel is true power, the more we, we look at Christ, the more we, we become more human as we approach the world. We become more human we be, because we're becoming more like Christ, the human being. The more we look at Christ, the more we see ourselves as not better than anybody else. We're not better than anyone. We're a fellow sufferer and sinner with the world, but we're one who has found the one source of mercy and comfort in the world. So we're free. We're free to be simple and sincere with people because we have tasted and we have seen that God is good in our own afflictions. We've tasted and seen that there is true comfort found in Christ and that it is real. That it is real. We're only human, but God, God has beaten death and He is working even now in the world to save through His Spirit. He is working in my life and I suspect He's working in yours through His Spirit. The Spirit is already working powerfully, so I don't have to. I don't have to work powerfully. I can approach you with simplicity and sincerity with the comfort I've received. So we're free to be sincere because we're not moving toward the world to sell something, to bring somebody else over to our team. We're moving toward the world in love, in the same love that's been shown to us by God, who moved towards us with compassion and pity. He saw our suffering and he moved toward us. That's all we're doing. We're moving toward the world out of compassion, seeing the, the suffering under the sin, knowing that we possess the only thing that would truly comfort so this means that we're free to move toward the world at what we might call a Jesus pace. A Jesus pace. As I've said elsewhere, uh, Satan often deceives us into thinking that time is, is short in a way that it is not and that it is long in a way that it is not. Time, time is short in the sense that Jesus is coming soon. Judgment is coming so we, we need, we should move toward the world. Time is short. But as we move toward the world, time is not so short that we can't listen to the other person. Listen to the other person and, and discover what is their suffering? What is it like for you? What, what is it like to be under the heat lamp of life for you? What, what, what is that like? There's time for that. There's time to be simple and sincere, to be human with another human being. There's sufficient time to, to move towards others and relate to them at a, at a Jesus pace, to get to know them and to even, even enjoy them. And there's sufficient time to, to, to walk with another person in their sin and suffering, to move with them at the pace that God has moved with you, 
Think about this. How has God been with you in your greatest struggle in life? How has he been towards you? What kind of pace has God moved with you? Has he been, come on, move, let's go, get it fixed, now. Is that how God's been with you? Or has he moved with you at a, at a human pace? Has he been content to move with you at the pace where you could, bit by bit, little by little, understand more of the gospel and grow a little bit at a time? How has he been with you? There's time to move with other people at a human pace. And this is crucial. This is crucial because you and I, you and I, as a church, we know the gospel pretty well. And that's a good thing. But as we move out towards other people, it is imperative that we understand the other person, that we understand the contours of their life so that we see how the gospel fits up and snugs up against the, God, the, the contours of their life and their suffering, their challenges, their hopes, their desires. That's what Paul's saying I, I, I did with you, Corinthians. I was simple with you. I was sincere. I came towards you with the grace of God. That's about it. We're free to move toward other sufferers and sinners simply and sincerely seeking to know them and their story. Because also, we can remember that we are not the first person to arrive on the scene. The Holy Spirit has already been at work in the other person's life. So you're, you're free to get to know the other person, to, to see and understand, where, where is the Holy Spirit at work in this person? Where is the Spirit on the move? I know the Spirit's on the move in the world today. Where, where is He on the move with this person? I'm free to get to know that person so I can discover that. And when I discover where the Spirit is on the move, then now I know where I need to ask another question, where I need to move toward that person a little bit more. We're not the first person to arrive on the scene. The Spirit's at work. So you may be asking yourself right now, are we talking about evangelism or are we talking about ministry to each other? Which, which one are we talking about? And the answer is yes. Did <laughs> you get that? How little difference there is as we move towards each other to try to give to each other the comfort of Christ? How, how, there's not a big difference between that and doing that with your cubicle made at work. So... This is why we just, there's nothing magical about community groups. It doesn't have to go this way. But, but, but it is the, the way that our church has decided to do one thing, and that is to, to bring us together across generational, cultural, sociological boundaries, to, to put us all in the same room, and to kind of force us to, to move towards each other in the way that I'm describing today because we need it. God means to give comfort and, and even further deliverance in life through the comfort and deliverance that he's given to you in the other person. That's the game plan that God is working on. So we, community groups is the best idea we came up with. This is what we ought to be about in community groups. All over our church, but especially there, where we get to know each other really get to know each other and see where's the Spirit on the move. And we know that we, we know this person well enough. Let's, let's give this little benchmark for you. When you know how to pray for them, 
when you know how to put into words the, the grace and the comfort that this, peop, this per, the other person needs from God, when you know how to pray for them, only now do you actually know then what to say. Because now you see, you, you also know, oh yes, I, I, I need that grace, that comfort in the exact same way. My situation's totally different, but at the end of the day, I, I need that in the very same way. Here's how God has comforted me. Here's how God has, has met me right where I'm at and walked with me. Can I tell you my story? So we need to take time to get to know the other person, to really listen. Moving towards others with simplicity and sincerity means, means repenting of being satisfied with, with, with terminally superficial relationships. But moving towards other people with the love and the compassion and the pity that God has shown us. And another little benchmark that maybe would be helpful for you, it's been helpful for me. Um, if you're like me, you can tell when you've stopped listening too soon, when you've dropped out of simple, sincere mode, and you've dropped into what I call counselor mode or Mr. Pastor mode, when... You know, you stop listening and you start giving advice. <laughs> and maybe your tone of voice changes and now you kind of sound like a pontificator, you know. And you're, you've stopped listening and two-thirds of your brain is kind of searching the Bible for the verse that relates to the thing that that person just said. They mentioned impatience, so now you're searching for verses about impatience. And your countenance changes. There's a heightened tension in the conversation. You've really stopped enjoying and engaging the other person. And uh, like now neither person is really glad they're there. It's not fun anymore. <laughs> um, you know, evangel evangelism or help, it's, it's okay if both people enjoy they're there. Enjoy that they're there. That's, that's okay. It's okay to enjoy evangelism. It is. And the result of counselor mode is that we don't actually give comfort that really addresses the heart of the other person. God does not call us to be gurus or advice givers. We comfort with the comfort shown to us. We're just a fellow sinner and sufferer with the other person. So the way we get out of counselor mode or evangelist mode is by asking another question. Ask another question. Listen. Dig. Dig to the point where you discover how this person really needs the grace of God just like you have. The external details may be different, but that need that you both share is always there. It's always there. And you possess the comfort if you have been comforted for anyone in any affliction. I, I experienced this one Monday afternoon on my on a, on a day off, I was sitting at Starbucks and I, I had my book about post-World War II Europe in front of me. And I had the, the, the book and the cappuccino and, and it, was, it was delightful. And then two men sat down next to me. Uh, and they started talking about their relationships and what they liked and clothes and other possessions and what they liked and other men. There goes the book reading. <laughs> And I tried to keep to the book, but, but some of the details were 
grabbed me and I couldn't help but hear some of the parts of the conversation. Some of the parts were foul, even detestable. Much of it I couldn't even relate to. A lot of it I didn't have any desire or temptation to relate to. I seemed to have almost nothing in common with these guys. But then, then one of them started talking about how he had gone down to another city, relationship with another man, been misused by this man, and kind of floating through life, suffering. By his own doing, yeah, yeah, suffering. And, and, and as I listened, couldn't help but listen, as I listened, I... I heard, I heard me in him. I heard a man who, who wants love, who wants security, who wants hope, who wants, to, who wants to be loved, who wants to be secure in this, in this cold universe. And, and as I listened, I realized, oh yeah, there is a deep we that I share with this man. Oh yeah, 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 there it is. We're not any good at speaking of the comfort of Christ and His mercy and His grace when we're angry or irritated or grossed out. We have to keep listening, asking questions until we find the we. And when we found the we between us, we can, we can pull forward how we ourselves have been comforted by Christ in, the, in that exact same need. Now we can really speak, not, not out of a script, but out of our own experience of the grace of God. So we move we move towards the other sufferers and sinners around us by moving towards them, by moving towards them with love, with compassion, and we learn to do that here. Your community group especially is a, a greenhouse of sorts where you learn to move towards people that are different from you with the comfort and grace and mercy of God. And as you learn to do it there, you learn to do it out there. we can't do it here, how are we going to do it out there? We can't do it here. Can't do it inside the church family where we are family and we do love each other. How are we going to do it out there? Perhaps we can't or we won't because we lack the motivation, which Paul again reminds us of in verse 14. We'll end here. We're not been given the comfort of the risen Christ to, to keep to ourselves because on the day of Christ Jesus, when He raises from, raise, rises from the dead and He raises us from the dead, that, that, that day is not meant to be a solitary day either. Can, can you imagine what that might be like on that day when God raises you from the dead? Can, can you imagine the exaltation that you might experience when you see a neighbor or a coworker or a family member or someone, someone in your life, someone that you just met who is there simply because God pressed comfort and grace and mercy through the afflictions that you yourself have experienced to them, can you imagine the exaltation that you will feel that it was all worth it? It was all worth it. Can you imagine that? That's the vision that you and I need. That's the vision God wants us to have as we approach the suffering fallen world. The day of the resurrection when we will experience all satisfaction in Christ and 
oh, what an exaltation we will feel if we could bring some with us. So let's pray for that now. <clears throat> Father, I, I do pray that you would continue to teach us. Teach us, Lord Jesus, to cry out to you, to make psalms to you, to make psalms to you in the cave that you would answer our prayers with true comfort. True comfort. True hope. Hope in the resurrection. And would you do what you have promised to do in your word before us today? Would you work, would you bring comfort into the world? True abiding comfort to the sufferers and sinners around us, around each and every one of us. Would you do this? Would you bring the ultimate meaning to our sufferings, to our afflictions, the salvation of other souls, the eternal, infinite satisfaction of other souls through us? Would you bring that dignity, that importance, that meaning to our afflictions in this life? Only you can do that. Would you? Would you do that in our church? Would you do that in this valley? Would you do that for our great good, for the glory, the great glory of your name. May it be blessed forever. May it be blessed through us. May it be blessed through our afflictions. I pray this in your name. Amen. We'll now move to communion if the men could come forward. The elders could come forward. Here we practice what we call open communion at E-Free which means that you don't need to be a member of our Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.